0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you could open up the sword of the Spirit
1: to Acts Chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. If you've been with us um, in the last uh, few books of Acts, especially starting with chapter 6, we've seen the persecution coming into the church. Also, we see Israel's rejection of Jesus as their Messiah caught up in the legalism of Judaism. Just like today in churches, it's easy to get caught up in the rituals, easy to get caught up in the laws. But thank God we are free from the law of sin and death. And we walk now in the spirit and not in the law. In chapter 8 let's read right now we're going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 8 Now Saul was consenting to his death At that time a great persecution arose against the church was at was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles And devout men carried Stephen for his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. At the end of chapter 7, we see in verse 58 that the witnesses who were about to stone Stephen were laying down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is where we're introduced to Saul. Saul, who most of us know as Paul, wrote, wrote most of the New Testament. So we know his bad guy status flips when the grace of God comes upon him just like in your life, and my life. But as we see in verse 1, Saul is consenting to Stephen's death. And all the people recognize Saul. They're placing their clothes at his feet. So they're not hindered as they're throwing the rocks down upon Stephen. I had mentioned in the past few chapters that Saul was probably at a lot of the things that were taking place in the temple. So he was seeing the miracles of, that Peter did on the steps of the temple. He was in there when they were discussing uh, these guys who were going following the way, the way of the cross, the way of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that when people are in God's presence, when they're hearing His Word, His Word doesn't return void. There's a penetration. Something's taking place. That's why it's so awesome whether you are home, uh, listening to this service, or you're right here. We're getting into God's Word. You're hearing God's Word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. You're you're exercising your spiritual muscles right now. That's so awesome. And we have God's promise on that. In Acts chapter 7... Verse 58, we saw where they were laying down these clothes at Saul's feet. And how Saul must... I'm trying to put myself in the mind of Saul. What he was thinking as he's just watching this murder about to take place. And they were using scriptures that anybody who was a blasphemer should be stoned to death, death by the law of Moses. Isn't it interesting how sometimes people use things that are in the Scripture to back up things that maybe God doesn't even approve. They take it out of context. They forgot about all the other things that pointed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. The Scriptures that they were supposed to be learned men of, they just had blind eyes to see that the person they crucified just a month or two earlier was God himself. As we continue, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Now, this basically sparked the persecution. Jesus, of course, okay, who everything was centered around, had already gone to the cross. He was buried. He rose. He was on the earth for 40 days. Then he was ascended up into heaven. Bible says that over 500 people saw him. So there were witnesses. People saw him. People ate with him. People touched him. But now, as we know, as time goes on, people sometimes soon forget. Well, one of the things that Stephen sparked, the persecution of the church. This ignited a whole uh, a time of persecution that... In the world's eyes, or in Satan's eyes, or in the enemy's eyes, oh boy, this is great, we're going after those believers in the way. We're going after those Christians now. Well, notice what takes place. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, most likely, the ones that were scattered were probably the Greek-speaking Jews, who, if you remember in a couple of previous chapters, they were the ones that had come to complain about the widows that were being um, neglected. The Hellenistic Jews, the Greek speaking Jews. And remember, the apostles got together and they said, let's pick seven guys to wait on the tables, to minister to the needs of the people. Well, there's a good thing, there's a good chance that when this persecution came, these Greek-speaking Jews who were from different parts of Israel went back. They were scattered out. And Stephen was one of those Grecian Jews. And so was this new guy we're going to get introduced to tonight, Philip. In Acts chapter 5, verse 38, it says, when uh, when the Pharisee Gamaliel who was a teacher of the law, said in chapter 5, verse 38, Now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. So one of the Pharisees said, hey, if this is of God, we can't stop it. If it's not of God, it's going to just die out. But they didn't really listen to him, even though he was one of the higher guys in their branch. They had it in their hearts to shut down this way. They didn't even want to find out if this was something of God. Why? Well, they were in power. They were making money. They had a status. And boy, aren't those downfalls of people within the church today. Scattered comes from a verb meaning to sow seed. Isn't that interesting? It comes from a word meaning to sow seed. And these believers were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And what were they doing? They were scattering the seed of the gospel. It didn't just stay in Jerusalem. Persecution is really the lifeblood of the church because it gets people moving. And it gets people standing up for Christ and teaching others that they might not even been in contact with it. That's pretty cool. Will persecution hit us in the United States of America. You know, we've seen it right during the COVID shutdowns with some of the churches, um, especially out on the West Coast, that were being fined down in Florida. People were being arrested. Our brothers and sisters in Canada are still having a hard time, even in their house churches, you know, being arrested. So we are seeing it. Will it come down here? We don't know. But if it does, boy, what a great way to keep getting God's word out. What Satan means for evil, God means for good. Satan can't win. God will always do something great out of it. Verse 8. But you shall, or I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Well, we're seeing it right here, aren't we? Because you have the apostles, they're going to stay in their home base of Jerusalem. And then you're going to have, through persecution, some of the other people going back out to Samaria and Judea. So, just in a few chapters, that what I just read to you is Acts chapter 1, we are seeing this come into fulfillment with God has said was going to happen. And we can look now in history now. Look here in Jamesburg, there's a Bible believing church who praises and raises up Jesus Christ. And we know he changes our hearts forever. Regardless, I love that song. The part that hit me tonight was, no matter what state you and I are in, God is working. He's faithful. He never gives up. That is so awesome of our God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16... It says behold I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves but beware of men for they will be brought before gov- you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles but when they deliver you up do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Continuing in that verse, of uh, Matthew uh, 10, verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will be, not be made known. So Jesus, those are Jesus where all that is taking place, and he's got it covered. Remember, He groomed these guys for such a time that they were going through, just like He grooms you and me for the times that are coming that we don't even know. That time coming could be later tonight. That could be tomorrow morning in your interaction with other people. God is always preparing us to bless others through his Holy Spirit in us. And remember, in the book of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles, but it's also called, could be called, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We just see the movement of God's Holy Spirit throughout this book of Acts. Now we see in verse 2 that devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made lamentation over him. He was a young guy. They loved him. They knew he had so much potential for the Lord throughout the rest of his life. But the Lord was calling him home. So much so that he was standing at the right hand of the Father, probably smiling with his arms open, saying, Come on up, Steve, as they were bombarding him with rocks. He had done his ministry. He had done what God called him to do. And isn't it something that he hasn't called you and I yet? We're still here. We're still here because God is not done with you or me yet. When he is, he'll take us home. Whether it be through the rapture or just through falling asleep. Because a Christian really doesn't die they just fall asleep and walk, wake up in God's presence. That's pretty awesome. In verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So here's our buddy Saul, wrecking havoc. And one of the terms here is like a wild boar going through a field, just reckless. Just ripping people out. And and through the book of Acts, we'll see. People were brought away in chains. People were being killed. People were thrown in prison. All at the hands of Saul. He was behind this. But God had a plan for Saul. He was going to Damascus, right? We'll see that later on. To um, corral some more believers. But God met him on that road. Verse 4 Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lamed were healed. And there was great joy in the city. In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, we see this, we're introduced to this man named Philip. He was one of those seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that were chosen to wait on tables. Little did um, Stephen or Philip know at that time what was going to take place a short while after. Stephen was going to go to be with the Lord. Philip was going to go on to another part of ministry he didn't even know. You never know when your heart is open to the Lord where he's going to put you, where he's going to send you. But you can bet when he's in it, it's going to be awesome. When you follow the lead of his precious Holy Spirit. You and I all have a ministry. Some of you might be finding your way, you know, wading through the water, just saying, well, Lord, where where would you have me? And boy, that's a great place to start, just with that question. Lord, where do you want me? It could be anything. It could be anything. You know, I think of all the different ministries. And many of you are involved in ministries right here as I look around. There's ministries going on all the time. And you're all, if you're not plugged in, just see any of the pastors or elders, you know, we'll plug you in. Because this is a team that doesn't have a bench. There's no bench on this team. Everybody's a player. We're all involved somehow. And that's a, that's a great thing. Stephen, remember, waited on the tables. He gave that tremendous sermon, right? Almost 60 lines and verses to the religious leaders. And now he's a martyr. Do you know the word martyr also has the word witness in it? Stephen was a witness. Not everybody has to die, go to their death for Christ. But boy, there are millions, maybe billions over the history of the church that have died for their faith. There's people dying right now in the Sudan, probably in Iraq, Iran, right now for their faith. Boys, girls, teenagers, adults, young adults, older people, they're giving up their life for Christ. So there's martyrs right now. They're witnesses. We would rather die than go your way to who was ever trying to persecute them. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And then there's some other names given, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So these men were chosen. These men were called, just like you're called, just like I'm called. There's a ministry, like I said, for all of us to do. Do you know there's a prayer ministry? Some people are just prayer warriors. Some of us might not even know that that's your ministry, but you're just praying and you're the, uh, the um, furnace of the church. You're just heating up the furnace for the Holy Spirit to just work mighty works through the people in the church. You don't have to be out front to be used by God. Philip, just as Romans 1.16 says, was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because he knew it was the power of God to salvation to anybody bo- who believed. For the Jew first and also for, for the Greek. He knew that in the gospel, in God's word, it was the power of God to salvation to anybody who believed, who was interested, who wanted to know more. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, when you hear this word gospel, it's laid out very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. And it says, Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. There's the gospel. Do you believe that? That's what you need to believe. And when that belief takes root, wow, it's only the beginning of a tremendous adventure that I know many of you on. And the title of tonight's message is Rooted and Grounded in Jesus. To be rooted and grounded in Jesus is where we want to be all the time, right? Just rooted and grounded in him. Another great scripture, along with what's going on with Philip, is Acts 3.16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So as a result of the persecution, Philip is now back in Samaria... He's preaching God's word. And not only are people getting saved, but they're getting healed. Demons are coming out of people just because he's lifting up the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Unlike any other thing. And sometimes as believers, I think we might take that for granted, don't we? The power in the name of Jesus. To turn a hard heart softer. To make an atheist become into a believer. The name of Jesus. 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 There's nothing like that name. There's no other name under heaven and on earth by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Down to verse 9 in chapter 8. But there was a certain man called Simon, who had previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. In 1 John chapter 2, Verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Notice in the verses that I just read, verses 9 through 13, there's a following of this guy who was a sorcerer. He was doing magical things. He was, do, he was practicing the magic arts, and people were attracted to him. Just like people see a, a magician on the street. They're attracted to what he's doing. But this went deeper than just sleight-of-hand magic. This was sorcery. This was backed by Satan himself. But what is awesome is that we see here a life was impacted again, By just a man, Philip, a servant of God, ministering the word of God to people. And even this guy who was into sorcery was touched by it. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 9, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders." Satan's job is to deceive. He will use anyone who is open to him or who turns their back on God to deceive others. Because we all have a spiritual need in our lives. If it's not filled with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's going to be filled with other things. And in the case of Simon the sorcerer, it was filled with things that weren't of God. And there have been and are antichrist, those who are in place of Christ, those who try to take the place of Jesus Christ. There are churches throughout the world that preached a Christ totally different from the Christ of your Bible and my Bible to try to mislead others. In this case, Simon was doing all these magical things. Not pointing people to the Jesus who had just died and rose and ascended into heaven. But we see here that some of the things we're going to look at, that he really was just elevating himself. In Matthew 24, verses 23 to 27, it says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if I say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. There's going to be a deception In this world, by lying signs and wonders, that people will be deceived. They'll say, they're going to say the Antichrist. Who can make war against him? This guy is God on earth. But that's why, as being students of God's word, we need to understand what his word says so we can recognize the counterfeit. That's so important. Because there's a lot of spirits flying around, and it's not the Holy Spirit. But we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit to recognize false spirits. When a person comes to Jesus and accepts Christ, confesses their sins, turns and asks for forgiveness, repents, just turns and walks away from their lifestyle... There's going to be evidence in that person's life that they're a changed person, that they're a new creature in Christ. There's going to be evidence of their faith. Yes, they'll they'll get baptized. They'll fellowship in a Bible-believing church. They'll have communion. They'll break uh, bread with fellow believers. They'll stay in God's Word. These are things that you look for when a person becomes a believer. But if we looked at the verses that I just read, again, verses 9 to 13, let's just look at a comparison between Simon and Philip. Let's just do a comparison test with the two. Simon astonished people with his magic. Philip healed people with miracles and converted them to Jesus. Big difference, right? One was a show, one was a life change. Simon works through demonic power. Philip was working through divine power. The Holy Spirit in him. Simon preached Jesus and pointed to himself, to Jesus, where Philip preached. I'm sorry, let's do that again. Simon claimed greatness and pointed to himself. Peter preached Jesus and pointed people to Jesus. Simon accepted glory of men. Philip gave Jesus the glory. Simon was baptized and followed Philip. Philip baptized others and followed Jesus. It's important that all of us never follow a man or a woman or any special teacher, but we follow Jesus Christ. We see God at work at the person. Um, Pastor Joe and myself, almost 20 years ago, saw a church of maybe, I don't even know, was it 100, Pastor Joe, maybe 150, something like that? Almost empty out because the church was following a man. They weren't following the God of that man. So it's easy, right, for us to follow um, the flesh, to follow human beings. and we never want to do that. We only always want to lift up Jesus Christ. And now Simon had followers as we read. They had to make a decision. What's going on with Simon? What's he doing? He's following this guy now. He's believing what this man is saying. So now you have another group, wonder what they're going to do. What's their decision now going to be? All because a guy believed in what Philip was teaching, which was the gospel. Let's go to verse 14 of Acts chapter 8. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem... Heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So remember the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Remember the core group stayed in Jerusalem while those people who were um, scattered were preaching God's word throughout Judea and Samaria. But the home church sent Peter and John to see if what was going on in these places was legit. That it wasn't a divisive spirit that was happening in here. That they weren't dragging the name of Jesus and adding something to it. 2,000 years later, there's a lot of religions who add a lot of stuff to Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus and this. Jesus and that. It's just Jesus. It's nothing else. End of story. Jesus right there. That's it. So when they went down to Samaria and to check it out, they sent Peter and John, two of the main guys, right? It was Peter and John on the steps that that God used to heal the lame man. It was Peter who gave that big sermon inside or right on the outside of the temple there in Solomon's portico. But what's cool that I want to point out is this. I love how God works. I think God has a tremendous sense of humor. I think God always does things that... In the lives of the people, they'll look back and say, Oh my goodness, that was a God thing because I would have never seen myself in the situation I'm in now. And the one guy I want to zero in for in a minute is John. He's the youngest of the apostles. He's the one who outran Peter to the tomb and tells you about it in the book of John. Well, John, with his brother James traveling with Jesus in the area of Samaria back when Jesus was, before he was crucified. And the Samaritans didn't want to put up them in a home overnight. And James and John said, well, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to torch these guys? And Jesus reprimanded them. But isn't it something that God... Now brings John back to Samaria to the people he wanted to make toast to minister to them. And think of I just now put yourself in John's spot going to Samaria. So what's going on in John's heart? Well, I bet he started hugging the Samaritans. I bet he had tears in his eyes. I bet he didn't feel the same way he did because he was a changed person because of the death, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And seeing the risen Lord. See when you see the risen Lord, you can never be the same. When you know he's alive, when you know he's changed your heart and doing a work in you, you never look at others the same again. Just like Stephen, if you were here last month. Stephen saw Jesus standing up ready to receive him as he was being stoned. And Saul was watching this, and they believed that they let Stephen out and threw him down off of maybe a 15, 20-foot fall. And if you remember, Stephen, I didn't bring this out last time, but you can read it in 7. Stephen, just from the fall alone, that could kill you. But what does he do? He kneels. And he's praying that God forgives the people who tossed him and who are throwing rocks at him. And we talked about that, how When you see the wounds and understand what Jesus went through for you and me, it's easy to apply that same grace and mercy to an enemy. And you talk about racial profiling and uh, being politically correct back here. There were prejudices against the Samaritans. You know? They weren't accepted And here we have Peter and John going to Samaria, and not only to check out what's going on, they're praying for them, that they might receive God's Holy Spirit. And then in verse 16 of Acts 8, for as yet he had not fallen on them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the apostolic um, stamp was now in Samaria. But let's go back. Our Lord and Savior set the ball in motion. Remember the woman at the well? Jacob's well? That was Samaria. Remember, she was an evangelist by the time that meeting was over with Jesus. She ran back into the city and brought out a whole crowd that heard Jesus saw Jesus hung out with Jesus believed in Jesus and now these Samaritans are saying hey Uncle Billy remember we saw Jesus with that woman when she brought us at the well when we were there that's these guys are following that Jesus. So th- dots are connecting. Things are happening. God uses those same spiritual dots, doesn't he, in our life? To connect things that sometimes we don't understand why things are happening. And then we start seeing the Savior's touch. His hand. On us as individuals. Isn't that a beautiful thing when that happens? That's, that blows my mind. Please pray uh, for Maria and I. This Friday, we go to that first visit with the doctor who God used to bring Maria back to life. I'm bringing a Bible. I'm bringing a track. I'm saying, you brought my wife back to life. I want you to know the Jesus that we believe in that put you in that situation. And he wants to work on all our hearts. But please keep that in prayer because that'll just be a couple of days from now. In um, Mark 1 and John 1, John the Baptist said that Jesus will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 3 and Luke 3, he says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and in fire. Luke chapter 11 Verse 13 says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, when you and I received Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into our hearts. But there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that we just have to ask God, Lord, just baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be able to live the life that you want me to live. And you know what? Right here in Luke eleven thirteen, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Just ask him. There's no formula. We see it throughout the scriptures. Sometimes they laid hands on people. Other times it was just a preaching of the word and the Holy Spirit just came upon them. Verse 18, as we close tonight. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I I do a little, like, uh, hand magic and stuff, so if I see a trick that's really cool that I don't know, I'll trade one of my tricks for that one. Well, back in these days, the magicians... Would, would buy other people's... They will want to know how they did that. Well, here, they, Simon thinks he can buy what he's saying. So there had to be some manifestation of God's Holy Spirit when the apostles laid their hands on the Samarians. Something must have taken place. Maybe they were speaking in tongues. Maybe there was, well, we know there was healings going on. So Simon is seeing this, and boy, he wants this. You know, especially being a former sorcerer. He wants to keep this going. But remember, as a believer, some people don't think that he was a believer. But that word believer, that he, was, he became a believer, is the same word that's used in For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So it's that, that same word belief is used in both of those contexts. So Simon was just a young I believe, it was just a young believer. And he was still messy. You know, he thought he could buy it. He, he, was, he was young. He didn't know. He wasn't around long enough. He had to grow just like we all have to grow in the maturity of God's Word. So he wanted that power. So Peter said to him, and I, we were just in a meeting today with uh, a, a buddy of ours who was at a meeting. And somebody said something wrong, and he stood up and, and said, no, that's not biblical, that's not what the Bible says. And here we see Peter in 20, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this, your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. When we're rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, he will reveal to us any kind of roots that we have that he wants to uproot. And in this case here with Simon, he was poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity, bound by sin. What was his bitterness? Well, maybe he wasn't the top dog anymore. This guy, Philip, is taking the crowd. So right away, he's got to get used to being second or third just being a servant, you know. And in verse 24, then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Remember, salvation doesn't depend on uh, prayer, baptism, or family traditions. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So believe in it. That Jesus is real. Believing in God. That doesn't do it. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And that disqualification means you do not stand the test. Throughout a day, throughout a week, how many times are we tested? How many times is our faith tested? How many times, if you're a more mature Christian, maybe something takes place consistently that you say, boy, I would have fallen for this all the time X amount of years ago. But I see that God has done a work in my heart. That's not the thing that stumbles me anymore. Maybe there's something else that stumbles you. That doesn't mean you're not in the faith but that means you need God's word, it's going to change you, fellowship of other believers, accountability partners, discipleship. You need a whole there's a whole gamut here that will take place that God has built in to his body to help each one of us grow. In Acts two, verse forty-two, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Their disciples spread the word. They change in attitude and altitude. They changed their attitude in the things of God, which changed their altitude. They were no longer earth dwellers. They now were receiving things from the heavenlies, from the Holy Spirit, to apply to the things that were going and to the people they met on the earth. There was an exchange. There was something taking place. False converts love themselves. They do things out of wrong motives. They're desires of their heart, not of Jesus' heart desires. Um, They need a change in their heart that will come over a period of time. But you know a heart of a believer because he wants to be where the people of God are. He wants, or she wants to be hearing God's word, asking questions, just growing. Can't get enough. A false convert thinks they can do things to earn salvation, where true converts know we can't do anything. There's nothing we can do. Jesus has done it all. He's paid the price. And finally, in Mark 9.35, it says, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to him, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So a follower of Jesus is a servant. He follows Christ. And Jesus, right, is the greatest servant. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Stay rooted and grounded in Jesus. We can never, ever get enough of Jesus. Ever. Throughout eternity, we just want more of Him. Let's get used to doing that now. And that just prepares us forever. Amen. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org Thanks for listening and may God bless.